0: Dear broadies, before I get to the episode, I want to take a moment to address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion in the United States. Everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions in this country. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans and people who live in America. Learn more by visiting choice.crd.co. That's choice.crd.co. If you're able to support others, please consider donating to abortion funds. You can find a list of where to donate in each state at donationsforabortion.com. That's donations, the number four, I have personally started donating to states where trigger laws go into effect immediately. Remember, even if you can only spend $1 or $5, that helps. There are things we can do to fight this, and it is going to take continued focus and community support. So I encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. You know,
1: logically, we know that we are not alone in the things that we experience, but those little voices in our heads keep telling us Mm -hmm. you're the only one this has happened to you're the only one you know going through this and it's just really helpful for other people to see that they are not alone
0: hello everybody and welcome to the pod broads this is a podcast about women in podcasting and i'm your host alexandra cole Welcome back, broadies! It feels good to say that on the official first episode of the second season. If this is your first time listening to the pod broads, I am so thrilled that you are joining in. And if you love what you hear, I encourage you to check out season one. There's plenty of episodes for a podcast marathon while you wait for episode two. And if you are back from season one, I adore you and am so glad to have you back. I'm trying out a few new sounds and structures this season, and I would love to hear what you think of them. Now, who better to start off season two than someone I have long admired in the podcasting space and whose work focuses on everything I love to research and discuss? That would be Nicole Perkins, who used to co-host the very popular Thirst Aid Kit podcast and who helped other women thirst out loud and proud. She writes about the way that pop culture, race, sex, gender, and relationships intersect, and I just continue to love her work. She now hosts This Is Good For You, a podcast where she interviews people about something they love, something that brings them pleasure, and why it makes them happy. She just came out with a beautiful memoir titled Sometimes I Trip on How Happy We Could Be, which covers black womanhood and sexuality, online message board communities, and the effects of pop culture on female desire. During our conversation, she tells me not just about the inception of her book, but her work as a writer and how that lent itself to her entry point into podcasting. We talk about softness, being sensitive, pleasure, America's problematic relationship with productivity, and navigating confessional writing and content creation. Like, this episode felt so good to record, And I love that because it was a pure manifestation of the things we were talking about. Well, normally at the end of each episode, I ask my guests how we can support their work, but I was admittedly fully caught up in our conversation while simultaneously distracted by my cat Zuko as he wrestled his way into my boyfriend's dresser drawer as we were finishing up. So I'm going to do it for Nicole right now. Follow her on Twitter and Instagram at TNWhiskeyWoman. Order her book, Sometimes I Trip on How Happy We Could Be. I've provided a direct link in the show notes. And listen to This Is Good For You. I can say from personal experience, you'll fly through them both, and they feel so good to do. Now, on to the inaugural interview of season two. I so hope you enjoy. So, Nicole, thank you so much for being here on the Pod Rods. I'm super stoked to have you. How are you doing today?
1: I'm good. Thank you for inviting me. I've been uh, seeing your work out there for a while now, so I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. So I always like to start with asking my guests who they are in their work and who they are outside of their work.
1: Oh, that's an excellent (laughs) question. So I am Nicole Perkins, writer, podcast host. Um, I don't know what else I do. Uh, and in my work, I tend to focus on um, the intersections of pop culture, race, sex, gender, relationships, all that kind of stuff. Um, and outside of my work, I uh, am still focused on women's pleasure, um, making sure that my friends have something where they feel good, or that they are honoring, you know, feeling good in the moment. But I'm also just, I'm, I'm very silly, but I'm also more sensitive than I think people realize, Mm -hmm. uh, just because I've kind of had to like, build up a really tough shell. um, But I'm trying to get back into being soft, at least to myself. So um, yeah, I think I think that's yeah, I think that's me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it. Um, there is there's this line in your book, uh Sometimes I Trip on How Happy We Could Be, which we're about to discuss. Um, but your collection of essays, but there's this line in one of the one of the essays about how you want to be soft and people like to take care of soft things. And it was one that I like underlined because I loved that so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I um I've always been very sensitive. I'm a middle child, and I think that probably plays a part in it, Um But I've always been very sensitive. And then I learned very quickly that people don't like it when you're sensitive, Mm -hmm. Uh, not necessarily because they don't know how to handle you, but because it is a reflection of what they've done to you. So when they do something that hurts and you reflect that it hurts, they don't like that, right? They don't want to be reminded of the pain that they've caused. And, you know, they make you feel like you're the bad person for having an emotion. Uh, So it's something that I constantly am... Uh, I don't want to say fighting, but like trying to navigate being mm. a soft person, being a sensitive person in a world that does not want you to be in a world that is trying to like make you this um, hardened individual so that you can keep taking on all the burdens that mm. people want to give you. Um, mm. And that's like professionally and, you know, interpersonally. So it's it's it can be a challenge. And I think with the book, I was trying to let people, I guess it was, I was also just trying to let people see, I am a soft person and, you know, um, some people, you know, see me on social media as this like a really silly person or a really thirsty person <laughs> and I am those things, but I am also, you know, I'm also, I don't know, I just, des- I just, I deserve care. Yeah. I deserve care.
0: Yeah, 100%. I I definitely identify with the sensitive part. My growing up, my family's nickname for me was Sensitiva, little Miss Sensitiva. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I also am like definitely in that like unlearning, relearning stage of like no, it's okay to be sensitive about these certain topics and mm-hmm. 100% it's a reflection of how that person has to look at whether they're going to take accountability or not. And also, like, I feel like people should be more sensitive to certain topics that we've been taught to not be.
1: Yeah. You know, people are always like, oh, you shouldn't be so sensitive. Well, maybe you shouldn't be such an ass. Like, right. Why? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, why do you want me to keep taking your abuse? What, what You know, and it may not necessarily be like abuse in the, you know, hardcore sense of the word, but right. just like. I don't want to keep taking your teasing. I don't want to keep taking, you know, you're picking at me. So Mm -hmm. stop. I shouldn't have to um, become calloused in order to navigate the world. Other people
0: should also just have more empathy, I think. Mm -hmm. I agree. And so so with this book, um, just to kind of set the stage for people who might just be hearing about it for the first time on this podcast and in general, can you share a little bit about just like the process of its inception point and how it came to be, how you chose the essays that you wanted to choose and like, you know, why that order, things like that, that made it this whole new, like complete thing.
1: Sure. So um, in 2017, beginning of 2017, I moved to New York because I got this BuzzFeed Emerging Writing Fellowship um, that was focused on, pop culture writing, like looking at pop culture, analyzing it, breaking it down. Because I, at that point I had been writing online professionally for several years. I mean like three or four years at that point and breaking down pop culture and, and the patterns that I saw and things like that. And I wanted to get more specialized training. So I, I applied for that, got that and came here. And then as I was writing and putting that stuff out, Um, I was seeing you know people seem to be responding to it well and Mm -hmm. an agent reached out to me who eventually became my agent uh, Kylie Raymond and you know I told her that I wanted to Write an essay collection uh, as inspired by Roxane Gay's "Bad Feminist" mm. and Samantha Irby's "Meaty" um, and Min- Mindy Kaling's books, and so even though I knew I couldn't be anywhere near as funny as Samantha Irby or Mindy Kaling, and I, I but I did know that I liked what all three of those women were doing with their work, um, and I. Really appreciated the path that they had carved mm. out um, because I did not want to write anything that was like, "Here's how you succeed in life." You know, here's <laughs> here's my um, map for you because that is I would not wish anyone to, to do what I you know go through all the stuff that I did. But when I was publishing the the pieces at the fellowship and looking at the other things that were kind of like on my mind and that I wanted to talk about, I. I was just like, you know, maybe maybe there's a place for this. Maybe there's an audience um, mm-hmm. for, the, for it. And so I worked with my agent. Like, we, we established a relationship probably by summer 2017. I can't remember exactly. And we started working on the proposal. And I think we sent it out maybe late 2017 or early 2018. I can't remember exactly. And we got some really good feedback. But more people were like, you know, because she structure it a little differently or like firm up the, the premise of it and things like that. Um, so I worked on it again for most of 2018, um, to early 2019, I think. And in 2019, that's when we sold it. Um, and I got with the publishing company, I got an editor at the publishing company and, yeah, so I just worked on it all through 2019, 2020. Mm. So I was working on it during like the first start of the pandemic. And it was very challenging, as you can imagine. (laughs) Um, And it's, it's a it was a four year process. So 2017, I was writing these pieces and thinking, okay, maybe this could be something that I could put together. And I had other ideas. So 2017, the the thought came to me, I can make this book 2019. (laughs) We sold the book 2021. It came out. So it's it's been a a four year process. And there were some pieces that I did not end up including or Mm. that I decided maybe I could use them uh, other times or something like that. Um, And how I chose what went in the book, it was, uh, it was definitely a collaborative effort with like, here's this idea that I have, you know, I would talk to my friends about some of the stuff that I wanted to write about. And I wouldn't necessarily tell them, Hey, I want to write about this, but I would just like, you know, just having a conversation Mm -hmm. and just see what that conversation would be like. If it was something that was meaty enough that I could expand it on my own. Yeah. And then I would write it up, send it to my agent and editor, say, what do y'all think? And they would say yes or no. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then just kind of collected them and put them together, and worked on the the order, um, the arrangement, how I wanted to, f- you know, focus on everything. I knew that I wanted to front load the childhood stuff. You mm-hmm. know, kind. Of, I couldn't write a an a chronological autobiography. I was I was not interested in that. Yeah. Um. But I knew that I wanted it to show progression of mm-hmm. some sort, and so there were some you know essays that in the later part of the book where I'm focusing more on like adulthood experiences that obviously come back and reference childhood. Right. But I did not want it to be, this is what happened from ages, you know, one to 10. This is what happened between 10 to 20. You know, I did not want anything like that, but I did want a progression of my life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, those, those are sometimes actually my favorite kinds of stories to read, whether it's like a nonlinear linear. Vo- version of storytelling. Um, or it is kind of these fragmented pieces that are the ones that stand out, but they all do connect once you see them back to back. So I feel like that's what I've definitely been, been getting from it. And it actually makes me wonder, and Nicole, I'm going to do my best to ask this question. And if it's confusing, please let me know. Um, (laughs) but, but it makes me think about, you know, even, even my own, journey with writing and how I would identify different moments of it in my also like emotional experience and emotional growth are there specific moments that come to mind that kind of shape your writing experience
1: yeah so i always knew that i wanted to be a writer from a very young age and i was writing um I was really into murder mysteries, and I still am. <laughs> but uh, I think the first thing that I wrote where I was clearly trying to be a writer mm-hmm. was a little murder mystery. <laughs> and I wrote it out and went to the office. I was really, you know, I was such a nerd. I was cool with the principal. And so I would went to the office and, like, made all these copies of the story and passed it out to people. And I don't remember all the details, but I do remember... That this um man had killed his wife and left the body in the greenhouse because the greenhouse would keep the body warm and people would not be mm. able to like figure out the exact time of her death. Wow! Um, and so that that way he would be able to establish his alibi. <laughs> <laughs> and <will>. the detect <laughs> and the detective was this woman who was clearly. What I thought I would be as an adult, <laughs> like I had, like <laughs> self-inserted myself in, into this, um, into this story as a detective, and she was just like very smart and like badass and all this yeah. kind of stuff. So that was, that was maybe like second grade or something like that, second or third grade, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, I eventually uh, got into poetry, and I remember when my grandmother passed when I was about seven or eight. So still like close to that time of me Mm. writing murder mysteries, but I went to poetry to try to, like, express myself. Mm. I had come across a collection of poetry, and I really, um, it it was called The the Black Poets by Dudley Randall, Mm. which was a collection of poetry from, like, Negro spirituals until the Black arts movement of the 60s and early 70s. So I was just overwhelmed by what I'd read and like the power of poetry and like just how, how well you could express emotion and all that stuff. So when my grandmother died, I would write poetry to talk about how I was feeling, but I did not share it with anyone. I just kind of wrote it all out and then I shoved it into this, um, like wardrobe that I had (laughs) in my, in my bedroom, um, so that that went back, you know, that was pretty much my thing of writing short stories. Um sometimes I would share the short stories, but the poetry I kept to myself. And then my senior year, I think senior year of high school, I had a, a formal creative writing class. Mm. And um that was life-changing for me mm. with Mr. Brown who has who is has since gone on he, well, he was at the time, but um He's an amazing poet in Nashville, mm-hmm. and I can't think of his first name, but Mr. Brown. <laughs> he's he's still out there writing poetry and everything. And I was writing all this terrible boyfriend girlfriend poetry. And um, when I was fifteen, our house burned down, so I wrote about that. Uh, um, and I did share that, and you know, um, with people. Yeah, and then college, I knew that I wanted to have a I had a minor in creative writing. So I was in workshops and mm-hmm. sharing my work there. Um but I've always journaled. I always kept diaries. I've always done a lot of writing. So those early years are those moments where I was trying to figure out the best format for me and yeah. so po- poetry is my first real love. Um my first real writing love. And so I always come back to poetry some way. Um and even when I'm writing something else. I turn to poetry to kind of um, not just reset myself, but also just to refresh my skills. And, mm-hmm. and I I love poetry. I love how succinct it can be um, because I do have a tendency to be wordy and like have really long, complex sentences and things like that. Um, When I'm writing prose, but when I'm writing poetry, I just kind of get in and get out. And so poetry, when I'm reading poetry, reading other people's poetry, it helps remind me of the, you know, what you can do with language. It doesn't you don't always have to, you know, have these run on sentences.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. I really just would love to also get like how your personal relationship with writing kind of impact the more like career uh trajectory of the writing self you know oh
1: yeah so so uh after college i went to grad school and i tried to do the whole like get the ma in english then the phd in english and then you teach and you'll write on the side i was Mm -hmm. that was because that was the only trajectory people were telling me about it was either Um, you graduate with a a BA in English and you can either go to grad school to become a teacher or you can go to law school and become a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And neither one of those appealed to me. I hated it. Um, (laughs) I hated the thought of teaching. Um, I mean, I like teaching. I like working in education, but I did not like being in front of a class um, Mm -hmm. and, and dealing with all of that. Um, So after I dropped out of grad school. I started working in education as like college advisors and then program coordinators, admin assistant, things like that, just kind of in the background of education. And I wasn't really writing um, that much because I just could not figure out a path to yeah. professional writing. I I still wanted to be a writer, but I just couldn't figure out the professional path because I was living in the South, Um I'm from the South, living in the South. Um, eventually, I moved to L.A., but it was still like I knew I didn't want to be a journalist. Yeah. I, I knew I didn't want to be like an investigative reporter. Um, the thought of deadlines with journalism, I just freaks me out. It still does. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I would use my vacation time to go on workshop retreats and and things like that, writing retreats. Um, So I was still writing, but just not professionally. I was still making sure that I was using those muscles, but not professionally. Mm -hmm. And then the 2000s hit and I joined uh, a message board that I wrote about in the book uh, called OK Player. And um, I started learning how to navigate trolls and those trending topics that Happened over and over. um, And then social media became more prominent with like MySpace and then Mm -hmm. eventually Twitter. And so I always just was like talking. It's easy for me to talk into the space of the internet um, because, you you know, I can, yeah, (laughs) I can take my time, I can double check. I am one of those people who actually double checks before I tweet, (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know, if what I'm saying is factually correct and that kind of thing. Um, And so people would see what I was writing and, and, you know, they were intrigued by it because I would always talk about the things that I was watching or the things that I was reading and uh, talk about the patterns that I saw. And then in 2013, someone from BuzzFeed was like, you know, they saw me talking about the TV shows uh, Sleepy Hollow and Scandal. And she was like, do you want to write this for BuzzFeed? And I Mm. was like, sure. So that was my first official paid writing gig. In 2013, when I was 36 years old and had had a whole nother career before. And then that kept going. I was still working in uh, my full-time job at the time. And it wasn't until maybe... 2015, that I was like, maybe I could do this full time. You know, yes. I had been seeing other people freelancing full time. And I thought well, maybe I could do that because I was back home uh, living with my sister. So I didn't have too much overhead. I mean, you know, I was contributing to the mm-hmm. household and everything. But I just I wasn't paying like rent or a mortgage or right. a car note or anything like that. So I was like, well, maybe this could be viable for me. And I started freelancing full time. And yeah so from 2013 my first paid gig to 2009 2017 and I got my agent 2019 Mm -hmm. sold the book 2021 and the book is alive
0: (laughs) um I'm really impressed with your ability to like recount dates throughout this whole process because (laughs) I have the hardest time remembering the like the right date range when I'm trying to like remember like Certain parts of my life. But I also really appreciate just kind of hearing that trajectory and. As a fellow English major, I also super super connect to everything that you said and have spoken with other English majors on this show, which I think is kind of funny how many of us do actually end up in podcasting, but it also makes perfect sense to me because it's just mm-hmm. another form of storytelling and crafting and writing yeah. and all of that. So, of course I have to ask you like where where does podcasting factor into this experience for you and how did that come into play with the other work that you were doing at the time?
1: Um, so when I moved to New York in 2017, um, Bim Adewunmi, who became my co-host on Thursday Kid, we had already connected on Twitter. Um, I don't know for however long we mm-hmm. had, you know, been just like chatting and stuff because um, we recognized. A lot of thirst similarities um (laughs) in the stuff that we were tweeting about and um so she had moved by the time I moved to New York she had been in New York for about a year and so when I was in the office and we were talking you know people would overhear us talking and everyone was just like well why don't you just do a podcast and uh I was like oh well okay sure (laughs) um and I like the idea of doing a podcast because, like you said, it is another form of storytelling. And again, I'm just kind of behind the mic and like no one is watching me make mistakes or mm-hmm. fumble or anything like that. So it was uh, it just seemed natural. And I also recognize that podcasting is not just sitting at a mic and talking like mm-hmm. there's work involved. And I don't think a lot of people really realize that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um <laughs> um but i i i really love podcasting i love um telling stories or hearing other people tell stories i love i love kind of like figuring out the the plan or the outline of the of the show and stuff mm-hmm. like that um so that's something uh i guess you could say i stumbled upon it it wasn't necessarily a goal or anything in mine um but i It happens and I love it and I want to keep doing it. Um, And I have lots of ideas for podcasts, but obviously they're, you know, (laughs) they require money and like all sorts of things. But (laughs) um, I really love it. I really do enjoy it. And I think it's, um, you know, it's one of those things that, again, I can just kind of do and put out there and people can enjoy it at their leisure and they don't feel like there's not necessarily a lot of pressure beyond, you know, from, executives and ads for people to like uh, interact with it in any particular kind of way um but i i like that
0: so i have news i am in love and it's with august period products And at the risk of TMI, it has been a long time since I have felt comfortable on my period. I have really sensitive skin and pads and tampons have consistently made me feel more irritated. And it wasn't until I found out about August that I learned that these period products that many of us have been using for a long time have these toxic plastics in them. Then the first time I used an August product, I immediately noticed a difference. The August ones are 100% organic cotton, and they are so comfy and soft and gentle on my skin during an already not exactly relaxing part of the month. Plus, I learned that most period products take five to eight centuries to decompose. Like, what? But August pads are fully biodegradable in six to 12 months. August is changing the narrative to establish that periods are powerful. After all, periods make human life possible. And I definitely believe and agree that it's about time we have an inclusive brand that is committed to more sustainable, absorbent, comfortable, and even impactful period care. They are affordable, you can purchase them on an as-needed basis, or you can sign up for their monthly or quarterly subscription service. Plus, every purchase with August, they donate products and 10% of their profits to their nonprofit partners to serve menstruators in need. And you can receive 10% off your purchase by entering my code, PODBROADS10. Check out itsaugust.co today, or find them on social media at itsaugust, and start feeling more comfortable on your period. I know I finally do. So there was this interview you did recently for your book with Ashley C. Ford. And one of the things that you said during it is something I ended up tweeting after because I was like, I love this. Um, But you were like, I just want people to feel good, have some moment in their day, five minutes where they just feel fucking good. And I loved that so much. And obviously it's a direct connection to your current podcast. This is good for you. And so... I I guess I'm curious about two things. I'm I'm wondering how that, like how the creation and inception of that podcast came to be, and what the transition was like going from you know having a co-host and it's not the same kind of content, but it's definitely related because on the one hand we're exploring like female sexual desire and like things like that, and then on this one it's kind of opened up different forms of pleasure and enjoyment, Mm -hmm. and so. Let's hear about that first and then I have a follow up question. Yeah. (laughs) Um,
1: So I was talking with uh, my friend Tracy Clayton of Another Mm -hmm. Round fame, and now she's at um, (laughs) Netflix Strong Black Legends and she's at Back Issue. But I was talking to her, running some ideas with, you know, by her. And um, I I knew again that I wanted to focus on pleasure and feeling good and not necessarily sexual pleasure, but still just like, highlighting that, especially um, at, it was around the time of the pandemic, uh, that summer of the pan- of the I guess, again, that first wave. Of, right. Of it's, the, of the how pan- do we even uh, you know. um, But I realized that I did not have anything that I was doing just for pleasure anymore, that I had monetized mm-hmm. everything that I enjoyed doing, from watching television reading books reading romance novels um even just being a thirsty horny individual right (laughs) like that had become my job with the podcast um so everything that i wanted to do for myself to like take a break and just be quiet i was constantly thinking how can i could i pitch this idea what yeah. kind of story is here? That kind of thing. And I was it upset me. I was just like, I don't have anything that's just for me. Um, so I went back and I started looking through old hobbies. Um, I used to be a very, very amateur photographer. And I, you know, I couldn't really leave the house and go take pictures. Um yeah and then i remembered that i used to cross stitch so i started cross stitching again which is this form of needlecraft and i loved it it was so, so soothing just the mm-hmm. the repetition of you know moving the needle through the fabric trying to create this pattern and it was also great because you know the pattern is laid out for you you know mm-hmm. so, um I didn't, I wasn't worried about trying to create anything because it's, you know, already there. Um, it was very meditative. So uh, thinking about that, and I was like, I'm sure other people are also feeling, you know, this this weird pressure that they don't have hobbies anymore, you yeah. know, because it had gotten to a point in American culture where we have to be productive. Do Everything we are doing has to make money or be like some kind of hustle or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So thinking about that and brainstorming ideas. And then I was like, okay, well, what if I did a podcast where I talked to people about their hobbies? And again, I wasn't necessarily trying to be, I wasn't trying to be the first at anything. I wasn't trying to be the only person because there are a lot of podcasts about hobbies and, you know, what people are doing and, and how to, start a hobby. Um, But I just wanted to talk to people about the things that they enjoy. And that's something that makes me feel good. So even though I was taking this thing that I enjoyed and kind of monetizing (laughs) it, right? Like I I do recognize the irony of that. Um, But still, I just was, I like talking to people about the things that make them feel good, because I think we have a lot of opportunities to complain (laughs) and to, you know, um, bitch about things. And which is fine. That's all right. We should make note yeah. of things that are not working, um, but we should also make note of the things that do work. Um, I recently saw this tweet and somebody was talking about how, you know, there's all there's always these people who are like, I just tell it like it is. I just I am just, I'm an ultimate truth teller. You know, I'm just very I'm always going to be open and honest, <laughs> but they're never open and honest and with compliments. It's always mm. insults and criticism. So, mm. like, where is okay. the direct honesty with compliments? Um, yeah. And I, I, I see that a lot. You know, um, so I wanted to, um, I wanted to give people room to talk about the things that they enjoy and why they started doing them, especially for. Um, I mean, my audience is whoever wants to listen and I have people across all gender expressions um on the show but mm-hmm. I also wanted to make sure that women knew it was okay to start something quote unquote late in life or start yeah. something that maybe they hadn't started because there's, there's also this American idea that if you haven't if you haven't started on something by the time you're 18 well don't don't even worry about it like you can't you can't master a new hobby if you didn't start it when you were young. So mm-hmm. I interviewed my producer's mother who started um, speed skating when she was uh. 39 and she had already had kids, you know, um, and everything. And it's just great. And then the other woman who started learning how to skateboard at 35, um, which I just super fascinated by yeah. uh, someone else who was learning bass, you know, after 30. um, And yeah, so I just wanted to talk to people and let other people, let our listeners know that you can have a hobby. You don't have to turn it into an Etsy shop. You know, you don't have to turn it into a side hustle. It could be just for you, just something that you enjoy. And, you know, I want, I say that I want people to have just even just five minutes uh, of their day to feel good. And it's because, I, you know, I have major depressive disorder, and mm-hmm. I know that those bad days are going to come at some point, you know? Yeah. And so when those bad days hit, at least I have shored up myself with all the good stuff, with all the the days where I was just sitting in my pleasure of watching murder mysteries. I, you know, I love these um little British murder mysteries yeah. in these quaint towns. Oh yeah. I, I my mom those. loves those too. She's <laughs> all about that. <them. laughs> you know? And it's like, yes, I'm just being a bump on my couch right now, but also I feel really good about, about that, you know, and, and resting and um, taking time for myself. So I'm going to enjoy this. You know, we also have this thing where you can't enjoy something unless you have suffered first.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And then you can, you suffer, then you get the reward, but then you have to suffer again because of the reward, right? And I think about that a lot with like diet culture and things like that. Like, oh, I'm going to treat myself to this great piece of cake because I had a hard day. And then after I eat the cake, then I have to make sure I get my steps in to walk off the cake. Well, why do you want to get rid of the cake? You you're you want the reward. Sit with the reward for a little bit, you know? And it was scary trying to um go from a, a co-hosting situation to being a solo host. Because I definitely had these moments of just like, what if nobody wants to hear me by myself? What if yeah. nobody wants to whatever? And then I was like, well I'm not by myself. I'm not just talking into the mic by myself. I'll be having I'll be engaging with my guests. So there's still that engagement, that banter. You'll still Mm -hmm. hear me talking to someone and obviously I have, you know, some friends who come on the show. So you'll yeah. still hear that friendly banter between two people. So it's not just a it's not just an interview show or mm-hmm. it's two strangers talking. I'll be you know, talking with some people that I know already. But uh <laughs> it seems to be going well and I hope people enjoy it. I hope um if no one's listened to it yet, they go out and they listen to it. So we cover. A lot of topics, you know. Sometimes um there are some sexual topics. Like the first episode was uh learning how to ride dick. Um and, <laughs> yeah. <remember> that one. <laughs> um and there was another one that was like pole dancing. Um and I had an episode where uh someone who is a sub, uh as in submissive, mm-hmm. talked about the pleasure of being a sub and someone else talked about the pleasure of being dominant. Um and then you know, like I said, we talked about sewing. Uh, someone talked about. Yeah. Uh, I had a TK, a producer who's awesome, is she uh, she yeah, and she great. She came on and talked is. about resin art that she's doing, like you know, creating trays and jewelry and stuff like that. So uh, I have, you know, there's there's a wide range of topics and a wide range of things that people can be doing just for the joy, just to take time for themselves. So. yeah Yeah, that's what I hope to like get out there with with this um with this podcast
0: yeah I love it so much I I was I remember like I don't of course I don't remember the exact date that I remember seeing it because I'm terrible with dates but I do remember (laughs) like seeing the announcement of the podcast and I was really excited especially to that point that you brought up earlier it's like as someone who is a creative and a lot of the stuff that I'm creating is in the hopes that it is something that can support my life. But then it can become really blurry of like, okay, what do I want to be just mine? And mm-hmm. when can I shut off my brain of like not thinking about, oh, it could be this and this could connect here and da 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 and keep like, you know, getting in kind of the planning mode of how to make all of this work together. Right, and right. so I just initially really loved that premise and i appreciate all reminders of like not having to suffer before you have pleasure and i think unfortunately certain people's like personal experiences have made them like associate the two together Mm -hmm. a lot and Mm -hmm. it's hard to separate the two um and so i love that piece of it i also have to say i recently listened to the karaoke one and how (laughs) how has he done it seven days in a row I was like wow that is amazing because I enjoy karaoke I love singing but I was like <laughs> I was very impressed I was like I love learning about things like that you don't even realize that people are out here doing like right in that yeah. way <laughs> uh,
1: and I especially like so the you know Thursday kit we only talked about um thirst objects that we actually enjoyed, that we mm-hmm. actually you know were thirsting after But on this is good for you, I'm talking to people about things that I would never do or don't like to do. Mm -hmm. And they're um, they're not necessarily there to change my mind. But it's really interesting for me to get these different perspectives and to think about these hobbies and these leisure activities in a different way, because like I like karaoke is fine. I've done it maybe two or three times. But the idea of, like, going out every day for a week to be in front of people singing, I could not do that. (laughs) So I I am, like, in awe. I am in awe.
0: I'm genuinely in awe. But, but yeah, it's just such a – listening to the show has made me also, again, like, reflect, like, what hobbies do I even have right now? And I was, like, I guess, like, through the pandemic I, like – found puzzles again which I used to do when I was younger with my mom we would have like you know the table set up like big dining room table would just be covered with like a thousand piece puzzle or like two thousand piece puzzle and so Mm -hmm. I got a 500 piece puzzle uh, a few months ago because it was in my old apartment but it was during the pandemic and I mean that part of the pandemic but (laughs) I was like damn 500 is a lot how did I do a thousand because I was like struggling to get through it but it was also really meditative so I was like this is nice to just again like have for just this like soft pleasure bringing it yeah. back to that softness. But yeah, um, okay. So I also wanted to ask you. There was one other thing that you said during the conversation you had with Ashley C. Ford, and it really stuck out to me because it was something I identified with, but it also made me kind of want to hear your thoughts more on this, this confessional writer type piece. So Uh, uh something that you said was that you're really used to talking about yourself. So other people feel more comfortable talking about themselves. Uh And that's definitely something I'd say in the last, like, three to five years of my life, I've really entered into more, especially after you know, like Trump was elected, the height of the Me Too movement. Um, For me, seeing a lot more women share about their sexual abuse and trauma and things like that made me open up about my own. And I've found that me sharing openly about that and my mental health issues and all that kind of stuff has given other people permission to share. And that's Mm -hmm. something that I love. I also know on the flip side, it's like, how do we identify how much is too much to share and that's a really personal decision Mm -hmm. um so I think I was just curious for you like when is it too much and when is it not worth it
1: Mm. um I just kind of I, I'm very, a very instinctual person. I just go with mm-hmm. my gut a lot. So I can't necessarily say that I have a formula for yeah. figuring it out. But sometimes even I'll tweet something and then immediately delete it um, mm-hmm. because I'm like, you know what? I don't feel like being misinterpreted. I don't feel like being purposely misunderstood just for somebody to, you know, try to come in and prove how smart they are, or that yeah. they're smarter than I am. Um, so sometimes I don't always you know, get it right, I guess, um, figuring that out. But what's important to me in not just making sure that other people feel good about talking about themselves, but also I, I one of the reasons that I didn't like being a kid was people were always trying to tell me how I was feeling. Mm. And it's like, no, that's not how I'm, I'm telling you how I feel. Yeah, this is, you know, um, and I don't want anyone to speak for me um, um, without my permission. Like if I say, yeah. sure, you can tell them this thing, um, that's that's fine. But I um, so that's something that I've seen throughout my life where people have just been like telling me how I feel or assuming that because I was silent, I was agreeing with something um, mm-hmm. or, you know, something like that. And yeah um and i see that a lot now especially with social media where people assume if you have not been tweeting about this thing or posting about this yeah. thing on instagram then you are agreeing with all the wrong people or you're you're not down for the cause or like whatever yeah and sometimes people are just overwhelmed or they're not able to uh, properly articulate you know the things that they want to say yeah. and so they stay quiet it's not a sign of guilt or a sign of them not supporting you. It's just, you know, everybody has a lot of stuff going on. And sometimes they just are just like, you know, if I can't add anything substantial to this discussion, I'm not going to talk. And I yeah. think we should give people more room and more grace to to, to be silent. I, I definitely have moments in in writing my memoir too of just trying to figure out whose story can I tell, yeah, um, or how much of their how much of their story I can tell because I tried to stick with where where their story overlapped with mine, so yeah. I was a part of it. Um, you know, without going to too far into their stuff that I didn't know about or didn't have permission to share or things like that. Um, But, you know, I may not have gotten it right all the time, but it is, it is just a lot of trial and error. And um, I think the things that makes me feel like I can't share this is if I know it's going to be weaponized against me. And Mm -hmm. that was something else that I thought about a lot with writing the book. And, and sharing my stuff and someone being like, this is why you're single because you talked about in your book how you're like, blah, 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 blah. And it's yeah. like, okay, well, I, you know, I wasn't using, the, I wasn't being open about that so that you could hurt me with it. I was being open about it, you know, for myself and maybe to help other people.
0: yeah
1: um, But a lot of times I just kind of barge through those feelings of discomfort and and put it out there anyway. And mm-hmm. even if I get one person who, sends me a message and it's like, this is exactly what I feel. or this is my life that makes me feel good. Um, yeah. Like, you know, logically, we know that we are not alone in the things that we experience, but those little voices in our heads keep telling us mm-hmm. you're the only one this has happened to. You're the only one, you know, going through this and it's just really helpful for other people to see that they are not alone. Um, yeah. It kind of like helps you breathe a little sigh of relief for that, you know, for that little bit
0: it does and especially with with the pieces that you know society at large has told us we should feel shame about and then it turns out that so many other people are experiencing this same thing or some iteration of the same thing that it's like but you told me not to say anything as if right. this isn't you know something that happens all the time
1: right and i find that happens a lot with people who have had really strict religious uh, Mm -hmm. upbringing where they're told like their bodies are these terrible, shameful things. But also you're supposed to honor all of God's creations or, you know, whatever is your, you know, your deity. Um, And it causes a lot of confusion for people, you know, it causes a lot of pain. And I just want people to get to a point where they unlearn all of that shame. Um, Yeah. Is that you know? For a long time, I of course was using the term "guilty pleasure" because that's right. what I had heard and 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 knew. And then it's just like, well, why is why do you feel guilty for enjoying this thing? As long as it doesn't cause harm to right. other people, you know, exactly. like you should. You um, and I think also people don't seem to understand the difference between shame and discretion. Like you don't mm-hmm. have to tell everything about yourself mm-hmm. at all, <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. um, <laughs> you know,
1: like. Yeah you can be discreet about the things that you enjoy or your life and you don't, you can be private, right? You can be private, you can be discreet, but that doesn't necessarily mean you should be ashamed of the things that you are doing, that you're doing something bad either. So um, I think people need to learn the difference between being private and being ashamed of what they do or trying to get people to be private and, um, They're really just scolding you, you know, like, yeah. oh, you shouldn't talk about sex. Well, why not? You know, like if you keep asking somebody why, why, why right. and force them to peel through and dig through all of those things that they've just been taught and they're just re- regurgitating because someone else told them. Um, their, their argument gets really weak and then they get super defensive and they're mad that you have, you know, broken down all of their own internal shame. Because again, once you Mm -hmm. like shine, put the mirror in front of someone, it just gets really ugly (laughs) really fast.
0: Yeah. And especially if they have like no tools to actually deal with it and you're the one sitting there with all the tools, it's like, then you have to be the one managing it.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Um, So I'm curious, because we've been talking about, you know, your writing and the work that you do in podcasting, which is writing based, but also very verbal at the same time. And there are these pieces of pleasure in and out all of those things and discussions of it. And I wonder for you, like how the experience of physically writing about pleasure versus talking about pleasure, like what's How does that differ for you? How does it either change your approach or just like how it literally just makes you feel when you're doing either form?
1: Yeah, I feel like in writing, I can be more explicit and Mm. more detailed. And when I'm talking to someone even though I curse or, you know, I try to be very colloquial in in talking, I do recognize that some people are not as open as I am or they they don't have the, lang- the same type of language. So sometimes I use, you know, kind of old-fashioned terminology or I try to, um, you know, be mindful that not everyone is as open as I am. There is a definite difference between how I talk, I think, and how yeah. I write about it. Um, but I do, I want people to be as open as possible. Like, you know, I have a friend who doesn't curse. So when mm-hmm. I'm with her, I don't curse. And mm-hmm. I I think it's very easy to adapt. Um, yeah. And again, when you try to force your way of expression, your way of life on someone else, you really have to examine why? Like, are you violating their boundaries in order to make sure that your boundaries are mm. are not violated? You know that kind of thing. And, yeah. Um. Um. I think there's a way to compromise. Yeah. You know, with with all of that. So sometimes when I'm talking about sex, or you know, I will use very like. <laughs> Uh, old-school romance terminology, (laughs) you know, um, with it. And, you know, I'll be silly with it a little bit, but I'm Mm -hmm. also still just trying to, like, you know, I'm trying to also gauge the other person's uh, reaction and how much they're willing to talk about. And I'm always – one of the things my friends tease me about – it's like when it's like a bunch of us and we're, you know, we're out and everybody's starting to feel really good from drinking and everything, then I'll start asking people about their <laughs> sex lives. Um, but I try to avoid if they're in a current relationship, I avoid the current relationship because I don't want to violate mm-hmm. the boundaries of, of mm-hmm. that. Um, and I... Um, right. I'm always checking in, you know, I'm always like, just tell me to stop. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll stop asking these questions. I'm just, just on a very, um, (laughs) surface level of me. I am just fascinated by sex, like the mechanics of it, the, the, the rhetoric of it, all of it. Um, so it's not that I, I want to know the details about these individual people, But I'm also just kind of gathering information for myself as a writer, as someone who wants to talk about sex Mm -hmm. and desire um, so that I can get more of a – I'm just kind of collecting data. I just want to know more about our humanity, you know, because I feel like when you say – Yeah. Yes, I like when he kisses my earlobe. Then somebody else in the friend group is going to be like, yes, that is amazing. Or somebody else is going to be like, I don't really feel that. I don't like that, you know? And then we can discuss the things around that without necessarily, um, you know, exposing our relationship or talking about someone who who did not give permission for us to be talking about them. So,
0: yeah. Well, and it's good too for. I think something I'm kind of realizing the older I get is how your own desire and turn on and turn offs Mm -hmm. shift and change and they don't stay stagnant and it depends on maybe what's going on in your life at the time versus what was going on five years ago. And it's, it's definitely, I don't know, it's important because again, back to like American culture, especially like we don't talk openly about Uh, Most things, unless it's like male gaze pornography,
1: and I, you know, I, not to get too deep in the, the the weeds with that, but also just like when you think about something like that, when you think about what people think female centric porn is, and then, you know, when I talk to my girlfriends about that stuff, they don't like any of that. Like they don't like there's there's something in between what the producers of these kinds of content put out there's some kind of there's something in between all of that and if they actually talk to real people yeah if they actually talk to like real people more people i think they would have a better idea of what to actually put out um
0: next week on the pod broads
1: And I literally said, can you, do you remember anything else? And she said, I, thankfully, I only remember your reaction. I don't really remember what was said. And I was just like, yeah, I guess it's pretty good. But I really wanted to like remember, like maybe it would have triggered something in me so that I could actually figure that out. But I'm like, and it also made me sad too, because that's why things feel heavy. Like it's because I was carrying things I didn't realize
0: I was carrying that's Noort Border, award-winning producer and journalist and the host of Podcast Noor. Make sure to follow and subscribe to the Podbroads wherever you get your podcasts. That way you'll never miss an episode. Let's get it. I'll call it Yay! Yeah. Would you would you rather have a shirtless Chris Evans read you a drabble that he wrote specifically about you, or have Hosier leave you a thirty second personal voicemail of him singing a song to you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, I uh, I would rather have the personalized voicemail by Hosier. Mm.
0: Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I thought I thought it was. Pr- I know he's like he's your dude, but I was like, I know Chris Evans is like he's, <laughs> it would be a, a reasonable comparison. I was like, what will go against Hosea that would make this even a difficult question? Um, OK, so that was that was my more silly one. But um, in terms of uh, the act of doing um, essays or podcasts, if you had to only keep one,
1: mm essays um just because i i really do love writing i don't mm-hmm. know what i would
0: be without writing yeah, yeah. So, i understand that i probably yeah. would choose the same even though here we are in a podcast <laughs> and i'm obsessed Right. but i mean it all started with writing um yeah exactly <laughs> uh okay uh prints or poetry if you could only keep one
1: <laughs> oh no um, <laughs> oh my god oh
0: no uh i'm sorry i'm torturing you a little bit yes it's the opposite of pleasure i'm aware um (laughs)
1: uh uh, oh no (laughs) um prince i'm gonna say prince yes okay so we're keeping prince yes
0: Okay, I think I mean, so. Yes, <laughs> there's there's some poetry in there. It's just got the yeah. music with it, so yeah. it it kind of keeps it. Okay, yeah. um, all right. So, who, in your opinion, has the sexiest podcast voice? Either already in podcasting, or who should enter into podcasting because they have a sexy voice?
1: Ooh, okay. Um, I can't think of anyone. Oh, oh. Uh, sorry. James McAvoy.
0: Ooh, yes. I would... I love that choice. Yeah,
1: even if he was just reading stories, you know, that other people created. Uh, Tom Hiddleston, another Ooh. flooding to me. Mm. Tom has an
0: incredible <laughs> voice. Um, he does. I'm, like, hearing it in my... All the TikToks in my head of, like, yeah. people playing him, talking.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, also... Uh, Kofi Cibo, who uh, starred in this um, movie called Really Love that's on Netflix and he's also a star of this show called Queen Sugar that go that's on own um, the Oprah Winfrey okay. Network. Uh, I really like his voice a lot and um, Andre 3000 because Mm -hmm. I love a Southern voice. um, I'm biased, of course, but he has uh, a really good voice, and I just like to hear just how Southern, how country he is. So, yeah. uh, yeah. So Andre 3000, Kofi Sirabo, Tom Hiddleston, and James McAvoy.
0: Okay, I love it. If this podcast ever reaches their ears, they'll know that they already have an audience of two. (laughs) amazing thank you so much for spending this time with me it was really awesome getting to talk and hear more about like your process and just how you got to where you are I always love hearing that about people's stories thank you
1: this was good I I really enjoyed talking about this stuff thank you
0: (laughs) our original music is produced by Carrie Blue the cover art was designed by Elsa Bermudez and everything else is produced and edited by me, myself, and I, Miss Alexandra Cole. And you can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook at Poderland, and you can find out more of what I do at www.poderland.com. Sign up for my newsletter for more recommendations of women-hosted podcasts, related news, and special updates about this podcast. And finally, make sure to share this episode tag us in it, like that shit, give it a review. Anything you do helps not just this podcast get more exposure, but also helps these women's voices be heard by way more people. And ultimately, that's my goal. So let's fucking do it. It's just my cat has just opened my boyfriend's drawer while we've been chatting like I I can't I can't keep up with this child.